This is Dak Prescott, and you're listening to Faith on the Field Show. Welcome to Faith on the Field Show, presented by International Justice Mission. I'm Rob Motti with my beautiful wife, Remy. Yes, my beautiful wife, Remy. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you this it week because it, it's it's been difficult, but uh, it's also great to be with you on all of our radio affiliates across the country, including our new stations that we rolled out in the past three weeks, Delaware, Maryland, and Texas. Uh, wonderful to be in new markets. Our guest this week is 1996 Heisman Trophy winner Danny Werfel, so stay tuned for that conversation. So I didn't want to even discuss this ahead of time with you because I want I wanted oh normally we do. We prepare our show, but I, I thought this would be cool because it's been a while since we've been able this is my first year as the AP's lead NFL writer. And my responsibilities have quadrupled I I don't even I can't go beyond like I don't know so I'm I'm constantly busy I'm on the go I'm moving I'm traveling I'm working I'm working and even though I do a lot of work in and out of the house I'm not really present and you and I with your schedule as now you you're doing a tremendous job as a realtor but you're busy and it's just hard Mm -hmm. it's hard to get two minutes together let alone a segment to record for face on the field. So, uh, Not we always make time. We always make time. We try. I, I, wa- yeah. I wanted to be able to, to just discuss this because it's not just us, right? It, we're not the only busy family. There's so everyone has a lot on their plate. Mm-hmm. People are busy. There are families with, with mothers and fathers, both working and it's hard. And it's on top of that. We're also, we're homeschooling our children. They're doing a, a tremendous job by themselves right. with with what they're doing right now and obviously you're there I try and be around but I'm not as present as I want to be and I notice it I notice it and you don't say anything mm-hmm. occasionally you will but I, I can read it in your I can read it in your uh, I guess maybe. my face talks for me <laughs> it does your face mm-hmm. does talk for you my face always but, talks for me but what you and I do well is we communicate and sometimes not verbally, sometimes through text message <laughs> because life's been, it, there's been a lot of adjustments for us too. Everyone knows we've talked about this. My father passed away in August and my mom was staying with us for a while. And there's just, there's a lot of adjustments. There's a lot that goes into that. So we do our best communication sometimes when it's like serious and heavy via text message. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder how many people out there are the same way. We're like, you know, if you get, face to face and then it's so easy to push someone's buttons and you know how to push mine I, i'm easily easily mm-hmm. I, my buttons are very pushable <laughs> uh, you do too yeah so, so what is, is this it, like a therapy session or may, something? maybe it is and oh, I, okay. I think people out there need that a little bit and, and we'll, we'll give you a bible verse it goes with this <laughs> first peter 3 7 i had to search all the way for the passion translation because I, there other translations say some of these words differently, but husbands, you in turn must treat your wives with tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored for they are co-heirs with you of the divine grace of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And, and I thought that's a, a fitting verse to go with our episode as we talk about relationships and e- you and I have gone through a, a lot of change and change sometimes brings uncomfortable and awkwardness. And I think the best way to deal with it is communication no matter how you do it for us if it's text message communication that's great Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
No, I agree. I mean, communication is definitely key. And I think boundaries is the most important, really. I think everybody has to know their boundaries and how how to, like, figure out their limits and their limitations because it's kind of, you know, change is annoying. i one of those people that actually don't like change very No, much. you don't like... I thought I didn't like change. You don't like change even more so than I don't yeah, like change. Yeah, I don't like change. I'm it's human very, nature. I'm comfortable. I like being comfortable. And when I get into a rhythm, I don't like my rhythm to be changed because... Now I have to readjust everything that I built to like get to that. And then it bothers me and it throws me off and then I get really irritated and yeah, it's annoying. And, but yeah, change happened. I mean, you can't really, you can't help it sometimes. But then at the same time, as you said, communication is key because you really do need to understand like how the other person is feeling and what they're comfortable with and what how they can adjust because you can't just assume it's going to work out or whatever. You just have to make it work. And um, it's not fun. Change is not fun for me. I don't like it. Some people like change. Some people like to, you know, travel the world and like be in hotel rooms and like all that. And I like to travel, but actually that's because I, that part always sometimes annoy me because I don't like the change that comes with it. <laughs> so it's really weird like to just like pack my life in a suit case and like try to pretend i'm happy for five days that actually annoys me so yeah it's, you're, you're <laughs> it's odd, like, unless you're on the beach somewhere but that, that it's is the beach because that is difficult and yeah. uh, i've been i've been doing quite a bit of traveling i got some more as i we record this episode i will be traveling and it's just unavoidable in my job and in my role i, I want to look at this verse and, and look at how like we don't think anything of it when now Right in 2022, when I, I read these words and I say, husbands, you in turn must treat your wives with tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored for they are co-heirs with you of the divine grace of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. We look at that now in 2022 and we go, well, yeah, I, it, it should be that way. But what, and this is from First Peter. When Peter wrote this back in that era, this is a, actually a radical idea for women and men to be treated. Like women were oppressed at this time period. Mm-hmm. And men were, he was asking them to treat them as equals because of all the hundreds and thousands of years of, of oppression where wives are being asked to... They're like the, they're lesser than, and you're never lesser than, and it should never be that way. And no matter what era we're in going forward, I would hope that that is now something that becomes the norm. And we see that in the workplace. We see that in my sport covering the NFL. There are women now in coaching. There are women now in front office positions. There are, are women who are executives for teams in the league office. I can go through this book that's sitting here right next to me with uh, all of the employees in the NFL, and, and there's dozens and dozens of, of women who are, and this idea from hundreds of years ago, or thousands of years ago would have been radical, but I'm glad we moved past that point. And, and as I'm trying to tie this into what you and I, being busy, the struggles of that, the adjustments going through that, what, what we always make sure is that what's important to you is important to me. What's important to me is important to you. And neither job is above the other. No, 
No, and even if I was not working at all, being a mother is above it all. And well, that's the some, toughest job in the world. Yeah, I'll say it's that. really hard. And like <laughs> some people take this like as in like oh, stay at home mom is like nothing. It's a simple thing. It's the hardest job out there. <laughs> it legit is the hardest job out there. <laughs> And it's just like, it makes you lose yourself and it makes you kind of like, just give yourself completely to, to the kids. And you, just, you you realize like, whoa, I don't even know who I am anymore because the mother gives all, like the mother is the center of the house. Like she's, she's the glue to everything. And because I of that. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Because of that, we give of ourselves all day, every day and. There's really no replenishment, you know. It's just like it takes a lot to replenish, and sometimes you don't even get the moment to replenish, and it's really hard because everybody's taking from you. So it is the hardest job at all. Like it's very, very hard to me. It was a hard, it's harder than my job now. Like it's very, very hard. Well, now add to that, and the, then oh, I still do it. Like so, it's so not add, like I yeah. quit or anything. <laughs> add to that working. Yeah, so I added in, to that in real working. estate, like you do as a realtor. Yeah, homeschooling children. Yeah, and, and it's a lot of fun. And being a mom, it's just tripled. It's so magnified. Yeah, so, so. I think I think it's just communication is so important in a relationship. And as we wrap this up a little bit, we may not always be in the same room for a lengthy period of time, but try to make that time quality. So I I know the day that I have off. And sometimes even that changes. Like last Friday, I was supposed to be off. No, not anymore. Got to do this. And and this day got to be on Saturday. I'm off. Oh, well, no, I'm actually traveling. Try to spend the quality time with your family, with your husband, with your wife. Are you taking me out on a date or something? Is this like what's happening? Because I would like well, now that. You're putting me on, now you're putting me on a spot. You know what? I think we're out of time. I, 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 Is I, that right? I think we're out of time. Up next, you're going to hear from Danny Werfel. You're listening to Faith on the Field Show presented by International Justice Mission. Today, over 40 million people are being forced into trafficking and slavery. One in four are children. We cannot allow them to suffer in silence. We need you. We need everybody. Go to IJM.org backslash take action, get information, understand how you can be involved. Because of the work that you are committing to do, they will be free. Hi, this is Remy Mahdi, co-host of Faith on a Field Show. I am so excited to be a part of an amazing team at Weikert Realtors Exclusive Properties in Tampa and the surrounding areas. Real estate has been a passion of mine for several years. I love beautiful homes. I love beach homes. I love new homes. I just love helping you buy your dream home or sell the one you're in. So if you are already in this beautiful sunshine state or if you want to move to fabulous Florida, I'm your girl. Call me at 717-503-4924 or email me at remymadi at gmail.com. That's R-E-M-Y-M-A-A-D-D-I at gmail.com. Welcome back to Faith on a Field Show presented by International Justice Mission. I'm Rob Mahdi with Remy. If you're listening to us for the first time, you can go to faithonafieldshow.com. Find every episode since we launched in 2017. We've had an awesome lineup of guests. You can listen anytime at your convenience on any of the podcast platforms. You'll hear the full interviews on there. Be sure also to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Faith on a Field and tell a friend or two about the show. 
I want to take a minute to thank all of our wonderful sponsors, International Justice Mission and Heritage's Dairy Stores. If you would like to be a sponsor for our show and help our ministry grow, please reach out to us at faithonafieldshow.com. Our guest this week, Danny Werfel, was the 1996 Heisman Trophy winner when he led Florida to the national championship. He played six seasons in the NFL with Chicago, Washington, and Green Bay. Danny now leads Desire Street Ministries, a nonprofit organization that seeks to help impoverished neighborhoods through spiritual and community development. Here's my conversation with Danny Werfel. It's a pleasure to talk to you. It's, it's been many years since you played in the NFL, but your impact right in the NFL and college football has still felt. And, and I want to go back to how you grew up and how that kind of shaped who you are now and everything that you became over the course of your career, because I know that your dad was a chaplain in the Air Force. So growing up in that environment, in a family of faith, yet still being on the move, how, how did that help develop your values and, and what you came to believe in and, and who you became and, and how you held on to that? Growing up and, and moved all around, you know, I think, you know, one, just my dad in general is a, is a unique, uh, amazing man um, in that he's done so much for so many people. He was a chaplain in the Air Force. And he's maybe one of the most fiercely competitive p- people you'd ever meet. So I just, I grew up with a father who loved to compete and valued that. And, uh, and yet also, which, which is kind of hard sometimes, also valued a strong sense of humility. So I've got all these memories of, of wanting to win, but then, you know, if I was caught bragging, if I was caught, you know, that, that, that was not, not, not something that was part of the Warful culture. So there was this competitive part there was this part where we moved every couple of years, which really was challenging in a lot of ways. I mean, to, to get situated, get your spot on the team, to get your friends and all of a sudden to be uprooted. Um, I think it really helped me recognize that there's lots of different ways people do things North, South. We lived in Europe, we lived all over the country. And a lot of times when you see people doing things different, you may think it's wrong, but sometimes things are just different. And I got a really neat, experience of that you know the sports really helped me each place we went make new friends and so that really validated how important sports was and then lastly and and through all this you know just kind of the the undergirding of our faith that sort of was the nucleus of our family was was always a part of it um, kind of directing how we thought about things uh, like competition how we thought about what we did with our money and, and helping people and so all those things kind of uh, kind of brewed together in me. And, and then I stumbled on uh, a sport I love playing football and lucky to get a good high school coach and things, things took off from there. When did you realize that football was, one, something that you're really good at and could be a path towards perhaps future in, in the NFL and playing a big-time college program? At what point? Was that in high school? Was it early in high school, later in high school? You know, I remember in ninth grade, I was uh, filling out a, cl- uh, a survey for a class, and it, it was asking you what your goal was. And my goal, I remember writing it down, was to get a college scholarship. Like That's what I really wanted. But at the time, I thought it may have been in basketball. I was probably a little bit better of a basketball player in middle school and, and early in high school. And um, I didn't know. I, I love both of those sports. Uh, I love playing both. And I think it was really into my junior year, we got a new football coach who came in. Uh, we ran the run and shoot type of offense and just had a really, really exciting, fun junior year. And I think I started hearing from 
from colleges and all the, the recruiting stuff, you know, of course now they start like recruiting you when you're in the third grade, but you know, back then when I was around, they, uh, they at least waited to your, you know, junior or so, but, uh, just that, that was it. Probably my junior kind of finishing up my junior year is when I realized that I might have a, a really good chance to have a, some sort of future in football. Having that success that you were able to have at Florida and playing for Steve Sperrier, now you go back to the humility aspect of what you learned growing up under your dad. I mean, how challenging is that to be for, you know, this term is used all, all the time, but the big man on campus, right? But now you got to balance the success you're having with who you are and what you learned through uh, growing up in, in that family structure and, and humility. Yeah, it really is. If you think about it, you know, the drive to be the best and be successful is powerful and important. But I also believe, you know, the the, the drive or the, the acceptance to, to be humble and to be a servant and to care and put other people first um, is incredibly important. So how do you marry those things together? I think that's a lifelong challenge we all face. I think most people tend to be good at one and not the other. I think uh, uh, I always tried uh, to do both of those things well as I look at the, the flow of my life, though, if I were really honest, probably a, a lot of times when I was coming off humble, I was trying to be humble, if that makes sense, because that's what I was. That was a value that I faced, I think. And as I've grown older in life and I've had other challenges and different things uh, happen that sort of force you to to kind of accept some of your limitations, I think I've slowly hopefully starting to turn into the person that I always uh, wanted to, to try to be but it's hard when when everyone tells you you're the best it's really hard not to let that get to you and when people treat you differently it's hard and so I actually even thought about writing a book for celebrities you know you know called uh, you know uh, how the Heisman stiff-armed me you know you, you know how success can stunt your growth as a human or something like that, you know, it's chapters like you're not as funny as you think you interrupt more than you think uh, you're, you know, all, all these sort of things that sometimes happen when, when people get to be too important. You win a Heisman trophy, you lead the team to a national championship. There's expectations of continued success at the next level in the NFL. And then you're selected by the Saints in the fourth round. You go to New Orleans. Mike Ditka is the head coach there. They got Heath Shuler. How did you transition or accept that you're going from being the guy, right, at Florida, the man, you're, you're there, you have all of this attention, and now you have to try and fit in in the National Football League on another team where you're working your way trying to prove yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think that was, you know, I kind of felt similar to maybe how I did as a young guy in high school or college. You know, you, you get in there and you know you're going to have to uh, earn your way to play. You know, I had, had hopes and dreams like every uh, young NFL player that, you know, maybe I in New Orleans at least could help be the quarterback that led them to their first Super Bowl. And you kind of hope uh, those things will line up. Um, but, yeah, I think that initially uh, I was just excited to be there. I'm grateful to to have an opportunity and, and hopeful that when I got that, it would be successful, at least on the, on the front end, for sure. You played for several different coaches. Obviously, Steve Sperrier had a, a major impact on your career. One at Florida, and then you end up playing for him again at Washington. What was it like to play in his offense, the creativity that he had, the innovation that he had, and, 
And, and what did you take from him off the field, the lessons uh, that he may have taught as a coach to help you be a better person? Bob, it's ironic you asked me about him at this moment because my phone is buzzing and he's calling me. So I'm going <laughs> to skip a call from Steve Spurrier to talk about him, and I hope he's not. <laughs> hope he doesn't hear this. That's uh, great. But uh, uh, I tell you, well, so obviously our relationship is still good and strong. You know, I wouldn't likely be sitting here talking to you had I not had the chance to play for him. You know, his mind, the way he designed offense, the way he coached it, just was a perfect fit. For someone like me, um, you know, my, you know, I didn't have the strongest arm from a lot of people, but when it came to timing and thinking and and decision making and just sort of accuracy and touch, those were the things that I I was good at, and so it just it was a unique fit, um, and just really really fun. A lot of flexibility for the quarterback, you know. I mean, literally on any any time a play didn't work. He would say, well, you know, you could change that play to any play in the offense, the line of scrimmage. So, like, you know, you really had a lot of opportunity as long as it worked uh, to change the the play around. And then, you know, off the field, you know, he was uh, an incredibly flexible. He would always talk about this idea of being super flexible and being able to accept things that weren't coming the the way you thought it and and adjust and roll with it. And, uh, you know, he – uh, you know, in, in a day and age and, and in a time when a lot of coaches weren't always following all the rules, uh, Coach Spurrier was an incredibly by-the-rule follower, and I think that's to his credit to win a national championship, doing it absolutely the right way, uh, as many many coaches have too. Um, and uh, and then just his love for his family, uh, his wife and his kids is a, is a great model for all of us. Dan, tell me about the inspiration and the motivation behind the Werfel Foundation, what, you're, uh, what you try and accomplish there, and, and then, of course, the Werfel Trophy that's given to the, the NCAA player who, who makes the biggest impact in the area of service. Yeah, well, I mean, one of my life's missions is really to inspire service and unity in the world. It's like, how can I use who I've been, who I am, what I care about to, to make, make a mark in the world? And the you know, the Werfel Trophy is just a great example. Um, there's so many amazing young men doing things all over the country, but typically uh, it's it's the best players on the field that get coverage or the players that make bad decisions that, that get in the news. And so, so often the, the folks that are just doing great stuff, you don't hear about them. And so, you know, not only are we trying to have an award that, that, that celebrates the winner, and we get one winner every year, but I mean, we have over a hundred nominees. And so one of my hopes is that we can partner with, with different folks that can help us tell the stories of more and more of these young men. Cause it's, it's inspiring just to see people that go way above and beyond, um, you know, and, and whether you're in a, a smaller college out West somewhere or a big SEC school or who, where, wherever you are, if you're a kid and you, and you see the story of, of one of your heroes, who's at that college, that's not just, you know, a good player, but like, you know, he's, he's going on mission trips. He's, he's going to the hospital. He's doing things with the kids in under-resourced neighborhoods. That's pretty, pretty inspiring. So we get to tell those stories and uh, that helps us um, make a dent in the world. That's awesome, man. I, I, I'm someone who certainly appreciates that. So I love to hear it. I want to know a little bit more about Desire Street Ministries, how you got involved, your role now as the executive director, because it's been over a decade, correct? 
Uh, I started volunteering in 1997. Wow. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, right when I was drafted by the Saints, I was there and I heard about this organization in the Ninth Ward of New Orleans called Desire Street. Uh, on Desire Street is the name of the street. The Desire Housing Project was once the second largest in the country. And, uh, and there's a group of folks there trying to make a difference in one of the most difficult neighborhoods in the country. And I was just in, inspired and awed and wanted to be a part of it while I was there and began helping, played basketball with kids, uh, went to different Bible studies, just anything I could do and help do some tutoring. And then uh, the, the organization grew. We started a school for kids and a church and started helping get housing. And we had all these dreams. And then uh, Hurricane Katrina really just just hammered uh, the Ninth Ward, as many people remember. And it sort of changed a lot of things, but we rebuilt and relaunched all the programming in New Orleans. And then I became the director in uh, 2006. And now our mission is we go around the country and we find leaders that are just doing heroic work and we help them. Uh, for about five years, we partner with leaders. We help them develop their boards and their funding. We help do coaching and strategy. You know, it's like Fortune 500 companies hire consulting companies all the time to help them. Uh, and yet here are some heroes in the under-resourced neighborhoods. You know, we referred to Coach Spurrier earlier, Rob, and, you know, I would not be who I was without him. He was my coach. He kind of poured into me. And so Desire Street is a resource, a coach, a partner for leaders that live and serve in under-resourced neighborhoods. And we're currently on a five-year plan to impact 20 neighborhoods by 2025. And you're continuing to grow into more and more cities? That's correct. Yep. We add about two partners, uh, two different neighborhoods each year, primarily in the Southeast still, just because that's where we are. Uh, but um, we'll see. We'll see what happens over time. Wow. So that's certainly something that, you know, you're leaving an impact and you're being able to um, help communities grow. And you see so many different athletes, Danny, who, whether it's through their foundation, through its community service, with the team, whatever it is, using their platform as best as possible to give back. How do you encourage guys who may be new to the, whether it's to in young guys in college football who are still trying to find their way or the rookies, young guys in the NFL who are still trying to, to make a team, make a roster, figure out who they want to be. How would you encourage them to look for ways and opportunities to give back and, and help and, and to be servants? Well, I mean, I, I think, one, that's part of why you model something. You know, I mean, so many people watched someone like Reggie White and how he lived his life and what he did. And then you sort of, whether you do it consciously or not, you begin to model that. So the more we can highlight these folks doing things and, and bringing attention to it, I think it inspires the younger guys to want to do it. You know, when I when I get a visit with somebody uh, you know, so often someone's like, I'm going to start a foundation. I'm like, that's great. What, what for? And like, I don't know. And so part of it is, you know, well, what are you passionate about? What, what have you encountered in your life? What are people in your family wrestling with that matters to you? And, and, you know, to really find something that, that is, is energizing for you is a big, big start. And then, you know, often you don't need to start your own foundation. There's already a group doing it that just needs your help. That was my story with, with Desire Street. So, um, just really being a part of things. Uh, and then I think lastly, you hope that people will recognize it, it's, you know, like, you know, no, nobody likes to do sprint training, you know, like that's uh, conditioning 
for football. Like it's no fun, but you do it because it, it, it helps you. I think a lot of people think, you know, serving others is like the, 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 the conditioning you have to do because to, you should do it as opposed to recognizing that when you engage in so many things with a, with a soft and open heart, um, it can, it can be the most exciting, beautiful thing you're a part of to, to where you can be blessed as well in the effort. And those are the things you hope young people hear and catch on uh, as they're considering how to invest their time, their money, their talent. That's very well said, Danny. I, I often look at service as not something that I need to do or have to do, but I get to do. It's a privilege to be able to be put in a position where you can impact other people. And, and it's it's awesome when people like yourself can realize that. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and catching up with you and, and getting to know a little bit more about the Werfel Foundation and Desire Street Ministries and everything that you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, all these things people can find at dannywarfel.com, uh, all the different links and websites, and just appreciate appreciate your help, sir. That's it for this week. Thank you to Danny Warfel. Thank you to Doug, Pastor Scott, everyone on our team, and thank you for listening to Faith on the Field Show presented by International Justice Mission. For Remy, I'm Rob Motti reminding you, make a difference. Be a blessing. Hey, this is Rob Motti. Online sexual exploitation of children is a hidden crime, and it's time we expose it. A new immersive podcast tells the story of Ruby, was trafficked into this crime when she was 16 years old. The podcast takes the listener through Ruby's journey and what's being done to fight this terrible crime. Check it out at IJM.org slash Ruby.